A lot of people are like, oh, well, I can give advice, right? So I can do this. And, you know, you walk into your first day of social work school, and the first thing they tell you is, if you think this is about giving advice, get out now. We're actually discouraged from giving advice because if I tell you what to do and things go terribly wrong, you'll hate me. Welcome to the What the Heck Do You Do Career Podcast, an inspiring look into the everyday jobs of everyday people. Hello, everyone. This is Carol from Careers by Carol, and I'm very excited about today's episode because I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm actually a mental health counselor, so I worked as a therapist for a while, and people are constantly calling me up and saying, what the heck does a therapist do? What's the difference between mental health and social work? And so today, we're bringing on a social worker to talk about what the heck social work is, maybe some of the differences between mental health and social work, and what a therapist does day to day. So I'm super excited to be bringing in today's guest. Her name is Ruthie. She is a social worker as part of the Jewish board at a mental health clinic in Crown Heights. What's doing, Ruthie? Hi, Carol. Thank you for having me on. And first off, you know, I want to say that I love that you're doing this. I think that it's great just to get people into the field if they don't know which way to go, you know, to go into social work. And I think it's also great for anybody that's on the fence about maybe going to therapy themselves to like hear a little bit more, you know, what it's about, what it means to be in therapy, what happens in the room instead of having that whole scary unknown. Um, so yeah, thanks for having me on. Actually, I love that you're bringing that up because I do think that that's a good lesson. There's a little bit less of a stigma around therapy, but for sure. there still is one. So if somebody could hear this and maybe they say, I want to be a therapist, but they also can say maybe therapy is something that's right for me. So if that's a lesson that people take, I'd be really happy. A hundred percent. I agree. Um, so yeah, so I am a social worker. Wait, let me ask. Oh, sorry. What the heck do you do? <laughs> so what the heck That's do my I favorite do? part of the podcast. Right, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was jumping ahead. Um, but so, so what the heck do I do? I, I literally get that question all the time. I've asked myself that question a bunch of times, right? Um, when I first started in social work school, I was in my class and, you know, it was mid-year. So we've all been there for a while and somebody raised their hand and said, hey, you know, I don't want to sound dumb, but what is social work? And then all the other 30 kids were like, yeah, you know, I'm at a party and someone's like, what's social work? And I honestly don't know how to explain myself. Um, so again, this podcast is great because we'll be able to do that here. So what I do, right, is I help people with a variety of mental illnesses and, you know, we ultimately aim to reduce the symptoms, right? So mental illness could mean anything from anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, PTSD, multiple personalities, sort of really anything. And especially in the clinic that I'm in, you know, we kind of get thrown anything, anytime. Um, so the way that we do that, right? I don't know, you know, there's different types of psychotherapy. I don't know if you think it would be helpful for me to like go over a couple. What yeah, sure. Think? Yeah. If you could do it like maybe with some case studies, I feel like that might help our viewers like really understand what you're talking about. For sure, for sure. So the ones that, you know, there's definitely two types of therapy that I find myself gravitating to the most, um, at least in my experience at the Jewish board. And, um, you know, the first one I would say is CBT, right? Cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, if people aren't familiar with the term, what it means is we work to identify and change unhelpful thoughts, unhelpful behaviors. It's a lot about the present, right? It's a lot about what are you thinking? What triggered that thought? What did it make you feel? How can we change that, right? So for example, 
you know, I had a client come in the other day and she was having this repetitive thought of I'm not good enough, right? We had this theme that we were working on and it was definitely, you know, attached to I'm not good enough. So having her track that thought, see what happens right before, right before she has the thought, then what, how does it make her feel? How does she behave after, right? For example, um, you know, let's say she, she's a high school girl. So let's say she would get a bad grade in school, right? What's her thought? I'm not good enough. What's her feeling? You know, she feels really down, depressed, hopeless about school. What's her behavior? She'll kind of stay in bed all day, right? And then what we work to do, right, is kind of figure out how we can come up with an alternative and more realistic thought, right? Because not good enough, right? You have to be good at something. So let's figure out what you're good at, right? So going through that kind of helps the client um, figure out how to change those thoughts. Right, so this client in particular, I'm not good enough. It was like, okay, well, actually, I'm really good at baking, and actually, you know, I'm a really good sibling, and actually, you know, going through all that with them really helps them kind of reduce those symptoms of anxiety. So, so that's definitely something that I use. Mm-hmm. And the other type of therapy that I really, really gravitate to is psychodynamic therapy. Right, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Mm-hmm. You're smiling at me. Um, right, psychodynamic therapy is basically the idea that our childhood influences you know how we think how we feel what we do and i am a big believer in that right i think that our adult experiences can shape us too but childhood is really where it happens so you know i have a client who she's 44 year old woman originally from florida right but she lives here now and she she was severely severely physically abused raped sexual abuse by her brother right um really bad verbal abuse just really an extreme extreme case right so with all that trauma you have to go back into the past right because that trauma shaped who she is today and so going back into the past with her um you know i'll give one example of recently you know she came in and she's like hey i'm having nightmares okay you're having nightmares that's strange you didn't have nightmares last week what's going on okay um what happened you know recently what changed this week going into you know what happens right before you go to sleep what are you thinking about how do you feel when you wake up from the nightmare right going into the present and then taking a step back into the past and saying how are these nightmares connected right and then you don't even have to know what the nightmare is right she actually didn't even remember the context of the nightmare it was Mm -hmm. just i'm waking up in a panic so after you know going back and forth into childhood and the present she kind of was able to realize oh, you know what, right before these nightmares started, I had a conversation with my mother over the phone, right? And this conversation was actually a similar topic to one that I had with her when I was 14, and it was right before a really bad physical beating, right? So going into that and having her see that connection right away reduces some of the anxiety, right? And, and then just processing that and how that's making her feel now and helping her recognize that the trauma is over, right? In some cases, the trauma is ongoing, but in this case, it was over. So having her see that, having her come up with a mantra to, you know, tell herself before, this, before she goes to sleep, you know, my trauma is not here, my trauma is not here, um, you know, and she, had, she has done a lot of work. So this, you know, it doesn't always happen this way, but she came back the next week. She's like, the nightmares are gone, right? right. But she was really someone that did a lot of work. You know, she had really severe suicidal thoughts. Those, you know, kind of diminished over our time together. She was cutting herself on her leg. That completely stopped. 
over time. And, and yes, yeah, so, and I know that's an extreme case with psychodynamic therapy, but, but this is for everybody, right? For someone that has anxiety or someone that, you know, tells themselves, I can't accomplish anything, right? If your mother has told you your whole life or put out a vibe your whole life that you can't accomplish anything, you're ultimately going to absorb that and you're going to start believing it, mm-hmm. right? So when you go to therapy, the therapist can kind of help you recognize these behavior patterns and take you back and make those connections so that you can see that, hey, maybe this isn't true and it's just something that I've internalized, right, or absorbed. Mm-hmm. And I like that you're giving those examples that seem like polar opposites, like the girl who gets a bad grade and is depressed because of it, which seems like, you know, a small little thing that we can deal with. And right. then this extreme, extreme trauma. And like you were saying, in the clinic that you work, you could really get one extreme, the other extreme, or anywhere Anything. in between. Yeah, and I think that that's a big part of what I do too, right? Being able to be in the room and not minimize you know, if somebody's said about their dog that died and somebody's said about, you know, the fact that their sister committed suicide the other day, right? right? And I do have those two clients sitting with me, right? And, and, and they actually happen to be back to back, you know? So you have to, as a therapist, transition into that mode, right? You have to, otherwise you can't give your client your all. Mm-hmm. So one of the most common questions I get asked, and I'm sure you do too, is like, how do you not take all of that home with you? Yes, right? I think that that's one of the biggest questions. And well, first of all, I'll point out, right, that I have weekly supervision, right, which is something that I need, something that every therapist needs. If you think you don't need it, then you better check your emotions. You want to just explain quickly what supervision is? Yes. So what supervision is, is basically every week I meet with somebody that's called my supervisor and she has her clinical license, which is a step above me. I'm sure we'll talk about that after. Um, but she basically has more experience and she's, you know, taken a couple more tests than me and she is fit to supervise me, meaning she is fit to, you know, watch over me in a way. So I come to her every week. We meet for an hour. I come to her with a laundry list of questions that come through my head throughout the week and I present them to her, right? Whether it's, you know, what would you do in this situation or how do I help this person, right? A lot of times my, personally for me, the hardest question to answer is someone with low self-esteem, right? Because it's so vague and it's attached to so many different parts. So, you know, if I'm having trouble with that, she's pretty familiar with all my clients and I'll come to her and I'll be like, okay, well, you know, we spoke about Rachel last week and now this is what she said this week. So how would you go about that? Or I went about it like this. Do you think I should have did something different? And that's extremely helpful. I need that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I just want to put a, out a disclaimer before we continue. Um, Ruthie and I spoke about this before the podcast. She's not using any, like, real, real clients. She's Thank making you, up names. She's making up, like, parts of the story using maybe, like, different stories from different clients. But none of these are, are real clients. That's something that's really important about therapy is everything is confidential. So this is all stuff that, like, maybe she's seen, but maybe a few clients sort of mushed together into one. Exactly, right? Confidentiality is not something that we take lightly. Um, and you can't, right? Because would you go to therapy if you knew your therapist was going to talk on a podcast? <laughs> you <laughs> no. definitely not, right? So confidentiality is literally the most important thing. You could be the smartest therapist in the world. If you can't keep confidentiality, you're going nowhere. Right. So you, know? you speak to your supervisor once a week. That yeah. helps you deal with like not bringing things home. What else do you do? Right. So, you know, when it comes to not bringing things home, right? Leaving things at the door. Um, I mean, listen, it's hard, right? I think that I definitely bring it home with me. Um, I, you know, I'm constantly thinking, I wish I could just text my client and be like, are you okay? And, and the hardest part is, I think, you know, having, let's say 45 minutes and your client 
you know, this just happened the other day, right? Your client tells you the entire story, start to finish of their experience being sexually abused by their sister. And then you kind of have to be the person to say our 45 minutes is up, right? right? Um, But again, you know, that's something that I've learned to kind of deal with, something that I've learned to, you know, work with. But listen, I think that not taking things home with you, self-care, right? Self-care, it's exactly what it sounds like, taking care of yourself, doing things you enjoy, separating yourself from your work environment, right? Obviously, that's been a little harder working from home. Yeah. Um, but, you know, something my supervisor suggested to me, right? Taking a walk after, closing your computer, saying, I'm done for today, and then taking a walk and really, you know, trying to disconnect, but you really can't, right? These are human beings. I'm human beings. If I can disconnect so easily, something's wrong. Right. You know, so I think taking things home just has to do with processing it and, you know, on your own. And I have yet to take my own advice, right? But seeing your own therapist, I think that everybody should see a therapist, right? Just to kind of process what's going on in their lives, especially if you're a therapist. Right. And I guess your supervisor sort of fills that role for you, but it is very important for therapists to have their own therapist. Yeah. Maybe she fills that role a little (laughs) too well. So that's stopping (laughs) me. But, you know, she's, uh, yeah, she's great. So... But yeah, you know, that's that's on taking things home. It's definitely mm-hmm. it's definitely hard. It's definitely a big challenge with the field. But you you know, the more experience you have, the more you learn to handle it in mm-hmm. a sense. Right. So I guess I've been getting all the time, anybody who thinks that they're good with people and they understand people, mm-hmm. which really is like probably 90% of the population, it, <laughs> like is good with people. And that's an amazing thing because right. I would say that I'm realizing now most jobs require you to be good with people like even um, yeah. a few episodes ago I spoke to Ovadia Harari and he's a software engineer you think that that's literally the last job that you would ever need people skills for and he's like I literally have to understand people and work with people every single day right so if it's not just like the people skills what skills do you think are the ones that somebody needs to have in order to be a therapist okay so it's a really great question right and I think you know I get that all the time too, right? Oh, so so you talk to people. I can talk to people. I don't need therapy because I can talk to my mom. And it's that, <laughs> like I've gotten that, right? And, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely more than that, right? There's a reason why I went to school for two years, right? And a lot of people are like, oh, well, I can, I can give advice, right? So I can do this. And, you know, you walk into your first day of social work school or any sort of mental health field. And the first thing they tell you is if you think this is about giving advice, get out now, right? It's not about giving advice. We're actually discouraged from giving advice because what happens if, you know, and a lot of my clients will tell me, just tell me what to do, Mm -hmm. right? And I tell them to their face, if I tell you what to do and things go terribly wrong, you'll hate me, right? right? If I tell you to call your sister who you haven't spoken to in 10 years and then, you know, she she blasts you, you come to me and you say, why did you tell me to do that? And then what does that say about our relationship? Right. Right. So I think that, you know, to be a good therapist, yes, you need to be compassionate. Yes, you need to be empathetic, right? You need to be able to talk to people, right? You need patience. Patience is a big thing. Right. So that's beyond having the socialization skills. If you don't have patience, you know, it's over for you. I'm not saying you can't work on it. You definitely can. There's times where I feel like I'm under pressure and I lose my patience and I talk about it in supervision. Um, Is it the patience in the way that like the client is not getting where you need them to go or like you keep having the same conversations a million times over and it's not moving? It's the patience in the sense that the client wants instant gratification. So they're putting that pressure onto you, 
right? I can't tell you how many times I've been in supervision and my supervisor has to stop me and say, Ruthie, you're feeling the pressure that she's putting on you, right? She wants to get better. She wants quick results. And it's, that's just not what this is. So you need to slow her down, mm-hmm. right? So first of all, you know, to go back to your question, it also, you need the education on mental illnesses because a lot of what I do is psychoeducation, right? Meaning educating people on anything that's mental health. Because, you know, I had somebody come in and say, I feel sad my whole life and I feel like I want to kill myself my whole life. What is this, right? What is this? I don't have interest in doing anything since I'm 13 years old. What is this that I'm feeling, right? So telling them the word depression, right? And a lot of times what I'll do is, you know, I'll pull up, the DSM-5, which is, for those that are not familiar, a big book with all the mental illnesses that exist. That book haunts my life a little bit. So. Right? So <laughs> it's definitely a therapist's best friend. Um, but right, pulling that out with the client and say, hey, let's look at your symptoms and see what's what's going on here, right? And helping them kind of come to it on their own. Because again, this is not a field where we tell clients, you have this and this means that and that means that. We can help client make connections, but we don't want to do the work for them. Right. Right. Because the whole thing is if you do the work for them, then they're going to have to be relying on you forever. But they need to take ownership. Because first of all, you're not going to want to do something if somebody else is telling you to do it. And then like you said, they could always come back and blame you. Right. And also, then they can't learn to do it on their own afterwards. Like I do the same type thing with my clients. If I'm helping them with careers, I'm not giving them the answers and saying, oh, because you like this and like this, here's what you like. It's I'm giving them the tools with which to think about themselves in a deeper way. Right. Which will essentially last them a lifetime. Right. Right. And that's, you know, a big debate also with do I have medication or do I go to therapy? Right. And do we use medication where I am? For sure. Right. We definitely give medication. Um, So just to clarify, social workers can give medication or they cannot give medication? Social workers cannot give medication. Um, we have an in-house nurse practitioner that we can refer the client to them and then they'll have an evaluation and she will determine, you know, while she's collaborating with us, if the client needs medication, what type, things like that. Mm. Um, I didn't know a nurse practitioner could prescribe. Yes, yes. That's cool. Yes, we are in between nurse practitioners at the moment, but, you know, um, that is that is how we work where we are, right? So, um, you know, getting back to, lost my train of thought for a second, but, um, the idea of like, should we medicate and give that like instant gratification type of thing? Right. So have to be relying on, I guess. Forever. Exactly. Right. So the thing is that therapy, right. You're learning tools. Right. And, and like I said, it's a combination of things, right? Yes. You go into childhood, but you're also giving client tools to take with them for life. Right. Because the thing about trauma, and I know I'm talking a lot about trauma, but that's a lot of what I work with, right. Triggers or reminders of trauma, right. That's what triggers are. they're real right and you can have gone through 10 years of therapy and 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 be totally processed everything and accepted everything and you know but then all of a sudden you know you see a swing that looks similar to the swing that you were sexually abused on and you know all of a sudden your body starts remembering right because our body remembers trauma so you need to know in that moment okay what can I pull out my back pocket what did I learn from therapy oh, you know, I learned progressive muscle relaxation, right? Which is tightening and releasing all the muscles in our body slowly, right, up and down. Um, You know, or I can do guided imagery, right? Creating a safe space in my mind using my imagination, right? Often with trauma, we feel we're in danger, even if the danger is not present. So we got to kind of create that safety Mm -hmm. that I do a lot with clients. Um, So all these tools, did you learn them in school? Or is it something that like you learned sort of like on the job? So the thing about social work school is you're there and you're like, 
what's going on? What am I learning? Yes, I'm learning every mental illness, but what do I do when I get there? Mm -hmm. Right? And um, the thing about social work school is really intense. Um, it's a two-year program, five days a week more or less, because you're in school two days a week and you're interning three days a week. Two separate internships, each one, you know, a year long. And you know the first day they throw you in right you're getting supervised there too but they throw you in right and you know going the Jewish board was actually my second internship and they hired me after you know after interning there and I remember I literally remember being in my first session and being thrown in there and saying what the heck am I doing and this is a client that I'm still working with till today um you know, and, and she happened to be someone that was really quiet. So, and that's the hardest thing for me when a client's mm -hmm. quiet. Um, but I remember sitting there saying, I'm doing this all wrong. She's not coming back. I'm ruining her life. Lo and behold, she came back next session. And we've been working together for so long that I've actually brought this up to her. And she was like, the reason why I stayed in therapy was because you made me feel so comfortable that first session. Aww. When I thought I was ruining everything, right? And that's the field because you don't know how you're going to impact. The other day, the client came to me and said, you know, what you said six months ago. I was like, what the heck did I say six months ago? You know, and she was like, you know, you said this and it got me through this. And I was like, okay, great. That's what resonated with you, right? So it's also, it's definitely a field of, you know, it's, it's about being spontaneous, right? So, so getting back to what you were saying, you know, what, what skills and stuff you need, um, I think you, you also, it's not just a socializing job, right? You can be good with people, but you also need to be a critical thinker, right? You need to be able to think quickly. You need to be able to recognize clients' behavior patterns and attach them back to something they told you a year ago, right? Because the thing about the work that we both do, right, is that clients sometimes can't see the connection and that's their brain protecting them right they're not ready to see the connection it's too it's too heavy for them to carry so you carry it for them until they're ready so when you see they're getting closer you see they're ready you take that you think back what they said a year ago right so it's a lot like I feel like my brain is stuffed right I don't know how it all fits in there and on that note right you need to know to be an effective therapist you need to know a lot about the brain too right you need to be able to understand that the limbic system right which is where our trauma is stored where our feelings are stored can overrule our prefrontal right meaning when we make decisions how we behave right our emotions are controlling those things right our trauma our experiences are controlling the decisions we make today so when you see a client right and this this was a client that I, I've been seeing for a while that she was kind of like um, every opportunity that was coming to her she was turning down but then she was saying she wanted to make changes, right? So now it's, okay, which one is it, right? You're turning down opportunity, right? And what we were able to kind of see was that her, her trauma was affecting mm -hmm. her decision, right? Was stopping her from taking opportunities because of that fear of, well, well what if I fail like, like I failed my entire life, right? right? Yeah. So is that brain stuff and all that, is that what you learned in school? Because was it only the mental health disorders? I know that social work is a little bit different than mental health, but what types of things do you learn? Well, in school, right, also um, in Hunter, they, they talk a lot about race, right? A lot, a lot about race. I definitely, right, I know we're called the Jewish board, but it's this, the Jewish board is something that's been around for over 140 years. They have, I think, 75 different locations, and we don't only work with Jews, right? And I remember getting the call for the internship, and I was like, I don't know, do I want to work with Jews again? I want to go out of the box, and I didn't know anything about it, and it's all, cult all cultures, all ethnicities, anything. Um, so 
talking about race with clients is also really great, mm-hmm. right? And that's something that I definitely learned from school, you know, to be comfortable with that, right? To be able to say, you are black, I'm white, it's here, right? And it, and it, it means we have different experiences, whatever the case, right? So, mm-hmm. so doing that, that was a lot about what I learned in school, um, the mental disorders, and then, you know, you have things like mental health policy, um, but you really, really learn on the job. That's right. the truth, right? You have your electives. I took a trauma course, right? That was definitely helpful, but you don't know what to expect until you get into the field. And that's where I did most of my learning, right? With two years of internship plus, I think I've been working two years, right? That's four years of experience. And I still, I'm still a baby social worker, mm-hmm. right? I have an employee in my clinic that's 20 years older than me. She's like, I'm still learning. Right. You know, this is a forever learning field. Mm-hmm. So that's also something to keep in mind. Yeah, and some people love that. They love that it's ever learning, that they're always going to have to know new things. Yeah. And that's like a personality type, people who love to learn. And then there's yeah. people who are like, no, I'd rather this be simple and it's the same sort of thing. And that's great too. Just, I guess, wouldn't be the right field for them. Yeah, like I love school. My mm-hmm. family just calls me geek all day long. <laughs> I love school. I wish I could have been in school forever. I, I feel like I'm in school because of where I am. Right. You know, so... Yeah. Yeah. The truth is it's the same for mental health. And I guess that's why I asked is because I felt like in the classes I was learning a lot, but they would never tell me like, I I was always frustrated because it was like, tell me what to do if a client says this or if a client says that. And I guess it's the same thing that we do with our clients, which is I can't give you every answer right here, right now. Like there's just not enough time to do that, but I'll give you the tools with which you can have a basis to like then learn more things based on your experiences. A hundred percent. And, and I think that that's a question I get from every single one. I think everybody I know asks me this. What do you say to a client when they say this, right? right? It's not like that. Uh-huh. It's not like that at all. When a client says this, it's, it's every client's unique, right? People are so complex. So you take their experiences, you take what you know about them, right? And that's how you respond to them, right? I mean, listen, there's protocol. Someone's coming in and saying, hey, I want to kill myself. Yeah, I'm going to take precaution and say, okay, well, are you planning on acting on these thoughts, right? There is safety planning around that. But with everything else, it's, you know, it's really a spontaneous job. And that's why you have to be a critical thinker Mm -hmm. to be in this field. You really, really do. Because Mm -hmm. your brain has to be on, right? You have to, and you have to take care of yourself, right? If you're not eating, you know, that whole day, which has happened to me before because you get busy, all of a sudden my brain's like, I'm starving, I'm starving, right? Right. So I learned (laughs) from that, that's for sure. Um, But yeah. Because you have to be on all the time when you're a therapist. Like anytime you enter a session, it's not like you could be by your computer answering emails and be like half nope. on, half off. Nope. And um, listen, I'm human. I'm not going to lie. There's been times where I've been session and yes, I spaced out for a moment, right? It happens to the best of us. I'm not proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that, that I worked on, right? Why did I space out? Oh, I didn't eat yet that day. I didn't drink right. enough water, right? So really taking care of yourself, right? Because clients can read body language as, as much as we do. Right. You know, so... That's a good point. So can we talk a little bit more about the nitty gritty of like becoming a social worker? So if somebody is now in college, is there a specific major that they have to have or they could really just do anything? Yeah. So when I wanted to get, I didn't know what I was going for, right? I said, I want to be a therapist, right? I was 13 years old watching Disney Channel saying, I want to be that school counselor, right? I want to do that. I want to help people. I want to talk to them. And so I didn't know how to do it, right? That's why I'm so happy you're doing this podcast because I didn't know how to do it. And if I had this podcast, maybe I would have known. Um, and, I, you know, I, I made some mistakes. I, I, I finished undergrad and I said, okay, let me apply to something. I'm thinking, oh, psychology. I said, okay, Brooklyn College Psychology, perfect. I go to the interview. They go, this is about psychological testing. I'm like, what? The-? My friend was applying with me. I go, 
what's going on? I don't want to do testing. I, I, the whole thing is I want to connect with people, right? That's what I've always wanted. And, you know, I remember getting the email um, and then saying, okay, you're in. And I felt the pressure because it was a competitive program. So I was like, should I accept it? Should I not? Um, but I, 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 it just didn't feel right. And I was like, this is not the direction I want to go in. And I had spoken to another person about social work. Again, I still didn't know what it was, but it sounded more my type. So I applied to Hunter late. So I was like, am I going to get in? Am I not? And I declined the Brooklyn psychology program. Thank God. Cause I thank God got into Hunter. I remember the day I got in so happy. Um, and you know, you, so, so you go to social work school. But before that, just to clarify, yes. do you need any specific major? Cause I know for mental health, you don't really need any specific major. Like they like it when you have psychology background, but you don't yeah. necessarily have to be a psych major. I think they like it too with Hunter. They like it when you have some psychology background. Um, I know that there's, I think I had to take statistics, right. um, things that I was lucky enough to have taken. Right. Um, so I was kind of in the clear with that. So that's why it's not so burned in my mind. Um, and it happened naturally because I majored in psych. Right. So, but I think that, right, worse comes to worse. If you realize, hey, I want to go to social work school, you can always take two, three courses for the requirement, right? Just semesterly. Yeah. Listen, it's not fun, but I would always recommend anyone that's interested in graduate school a year before, look into the application, look into what you need to apply to, because you don't want to get screwed and show right. up to the application and say, oh my gosh, now I'm back for another semester in college. Yeah. That's um, good advice. Yeah, so once you get into social work school, Hunter was really great. I highly recommend it. I loved it. Um, and, you know, you go through the two years. It's, like I said, two days of school, more or less, and um, three days of interning. First year internship, they kind of place you wherever. Second year internship, they give you a little more of a choice, but, you know, not so much. Limited resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, right, once you graduate, you, and, and just to let everybody know that if you're kind of a bad test taker, just keep in mind that social work school is mostly writing. I think the only class that I had, like, a multiple choice test was the abnormal psych class, right? So, and abnormal psych is about, like, the disorders. Exactly, mm-hmm. right? So that's, you know, a big test and everyone has to take it. But um, everything else was really essays, research papers, things like that. And Which then, I like, by the way, because when you're dealing with a client, it's never going to be a multiple choice ABCD. It's always going to be more, like complicated than that like you said exactly right there is no one right answer right that's right. why some people say what do you say if someone i don't know what i say <laughs> put me in the room with them tell me their history tell me right. their presenting problem and then maybe i'll answer you right um but once you graduate um then you take your test you can take it early right if you, well you know just for people to know you can take it through new jersey you can take it earlier that's what i did and it's a big test it's really hard I was in tears after I passed. I was sitting there for four hours. I'm a long test taker. So I was sitting there for four hours. And then I said, I've been sitting here for so long. I said, you know what? Let me just submit it. It said passed. I burst into tears. I think the guy came over to me. He's like, are you okay? <laughs> I'm like, I'm fine. Um, so this is the licensing test? This is the licensing exam, right? So for where I am, you need a license. Um, for other places, and I think I should have said this before, the thing about social work is that it's really, really broad, right? I, yes, I, I practice psychotherapy, right? But you can really work anywhere. You can work in foster care. You can work in a hospital, a prison, it, really anywhere. And depending on where you are will depend on what you do, right? You can be in a hospital doing discharge planning, meaning, you know, the, the person that was in the hospital, they leave, you kind of go over, you know, what's going to be when they leave. Or you can, you know, be working in foster care, advocating for clients, meaning, you know, speaking up for them. Um, 
you know, you can you can be um, in a prison connecting people to resources, right? I personally always wanted to do this clinical work, right? Mm-hmm. This is more clinical work. And another thing to know is that in Hunter, they also have an organiza- community and organizing field, right? So if you're not so into clinical, but you're more into like helping people organizing, you know, big things, getting people connected to resources, you can also go to that program. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes more sense because I guess like social work, what that means is like social like people. Exactly. Like you're working with people. So whether it be advocacy or connecting them with resources or like figuring out organizational things, but you specifically chose the clinical route. Exactly. Right. And I think a lot of people don't know that about social work mm-hmm. that, you know, a lot of people will ask me what I do and I'll try to explain it to them. And then they're like, but wait, you're not a psychiatrist. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm not a psychiatrist, but it's re- you're really doing the same thing. You're just not prescribing medication. Yeah. I'll just point out guys for people who think psychiatrists and psychologists are the same thing or don't know the difference. Psychiatrists literally go to medical school. Right. They become doctors and then they specialize in psychiatry for another like three years. So it's definitely not the same. Right. And it's also for people who are interested in becoming basically doctors. Mm-hmm. People don't usually go to become psychiatrists because they only want to deal with psychiatry. They have to go exactly. through the whole medical school process. So right. It's their general interest in medicine. Right. They usually become you know, go towards that medical field and then they kind of do this on the side, right? right? Um, Or it ends up becoming their main practice. I can't tell you how many people in social work school had had a prior career, right? I was one of the youngest people there. I had the same experience. Yeah, Yeah. and I mean, you know, we're lucky we can go right after and, you know, a lot of people were like, no, I was a journalist before or, Mm -hmm. you know, so a lot of people get this desire, you know, when they've been in the field, I was a lawyer before, right, to connect with people because you realize that you like that aspect of the job, connecting to people, getting into their lives getting into their mind and and helping them change right right there's nothing better than that Mm -hmm. okay so you were saying earlier on in the conversation that you have like a specific license and that the person who supervises you has like a a higher license so what does that look okay so so right going back right so we said you take this big test and now you have your license right so I know a lot of people are always asking me are you going to open your private practice right so the way that you get there is once you have your license, you need to, in order to open private practice, right, that would essentially be the next step. You need to have 2,000 hours of supervised clinical work, meaning you have to have 2,000 hours of session time, mm-hmm. right? So if I'm in the office an extra hour but not having session, no, that doesn't count, right? right? It needs, and you need to be getting supervised, right? So if you're working in a shady agency and there's no supervisor there, that's not counting towards your hours either. Right. So you need to have 2,000 hours of clinical work, right, in session experience where you're getting supervised, you know, once a week or whatever it is. Um, and once you have those 2,000 hours, it needs to be over three years, Oh, wow. Minimum of three years, right? Because what's private practice? They're trusting you with people's lives. You don't need to get supervised. Right. So, you know. Minimum of three years is their maximum? Six. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Between three and six years. Between three and six. Um, I'm not sure the details of what happens if you get after the six years. I, I know there's a way. I think you probably have to, like, pay or something. But right. <laughs> there's a way, right? It's not like all of a sudden you have to retake that first exam. Um, but after you accumulate those hours, then you um, take another huge test. I'll probably be crying at that one too. I'll (laughs) let you know. Um, And then, you know, you can start to build your private practice and you can become a supervisor. And, you know, so you need that clinical license to become a supervisor, right? Because again, essentially all my clients are under the care and supervision of my supervisor, right? right? So she needs that clinical experience, right? You know, the board of social work is trusting her. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So that's, that's pretty much the path to become a social worker and eventually private practice. Right. 
So you have what they call an LMSW, and then the higher one is an LCSW. Exactly. So I'll just point out for people who are listening and, and want to know the difference between social work and mental health. Mental health really focuses on the clinical aspect that Ruthie was mentioning. So really all of our classes are based in working with clients, having one-on-one sessions, like working with the DSM to diagnose people. It doesn't really touch on that advocacy piece. It doesn't really touch on like the community organizations piece as much. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way, people like that more when they're looking for the clinical route because they're learning every single one of their classes is about that. But I will say I found that it's a little bit limiting. First of all, you can't really work in a school setting with the with the clinical, uh, the mental health degree when you're trying to get your hours. So you said you have to do 2000 hours to get your second license. Right. We don't even get a license until we do 3000 hours. Okay, so you wow. can graduate, take a test and still you're not licensed at all until you do the 3000 hours. So a lot of times when people come to me and ask me, should I do social work or mental health? Even though I did mental health and I loved it, mm-hmm. I usually recommend social work because it's broader because yeah. you could do things with your initial two-year degree where you have a license Mm -hmm. and then you have the option of getting the higher license to open your private practice and do all those things but it's a little bit more free and like freeing in terms of the things you can do and then also people recognize it more so I know a lot of the people in my program had trouble finding that job that would give them the 3,000 supervised hours because they don't know what mental health is as much social work is a much older field yeah so I mean, that's just my personal opinion. Definitely you can ask around and find out from people what they recommend, but that's my personal recommendation, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what's the hardest part of the job? The hardest part for me is wanting that instant gratification, right? Because you get to a point where you care so much about your clients right like I am constantly thinking about them mm-hmm. right I'm like constantly there's such a big part of my life think about it you're meeting with them every week right. right and it's it's I do individual right but I'm also doing family sessions right I'm meeting their family it's it's their whole life and they're telling me things that they haven't maybe even told themselves you know and right. things that they've never told anyone things that they're first recognizing at 45 years old and they're like oh my gosh you know so I think for me, I want them to feel better, right? And I see their strengths, so I know that they can get there, right? But if, if you're thinking that instant gratification is this job, you are wrong, right? If you're thinking that this is, you know, something that you're going to see results right away, you are so wrong because this is a complicated, messy, slow process, but the reward is so great. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yes, the hardest part of the job is also the best part of the job. Right. And we don't want instant gratification. Right. Because that's a red flag. Someone comes to me and and a lot of clients feel that way. Right. They come to me and they say, you know, you know, I I did the exercise we spoke about. You know, it felt good, but only for a moment. Right. I said and I tell them, of course not. Right. If you came to me and said, I'm happy, all my problems are gone. I would sit you down and say (laughs) something is wrong here. We need Mm -hmm. to talk. Right. And so. With that instant gratification, yes, it's hard, but if you can stick it out and be patient, watching the emotional growth, right? Watching your clients grow up, right? Mm -hmm. Not from age five to 13, watching their emotional, you know, their emotional stability get stronger is the best feeling in the world, right? And knowing that you're a part of that is even better, right? Knowing that you're helping them and, and emphasis on the help because what we do as therapists, right, and I'm sure you would agree, is we help our clients, right? We don't do it for them. Right. We don't mm-hmm. want to do it for them. Um, we want to help them build a foundation, and we want them to know that they did it themselves. Um, 
So I, th I think that's the hardest part of the job, but it's, it's also the most rewarding, right? Seeing them reach that point where they're their best selves and, and termination, never mind, scratch what I said, <laughs> termination is the hardest part. Imagine working with a client for four years and then having to say goodbye. So hard. Right? It's the hardest thing in the world, right? And it depends on the circumstance. Sometimes, yes, they feel that they're ready and sometimes it's an issue of they're moving away. Right. It's really it's I've cried with clients. Right. It's not it's not easy. It's one of the hardest parts of my job is termination mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, definitely. So if somebody's listening to this and they're very moved by what you're saying, because I'm moved, I think like even through somebody's phone, they can hear your passion for this and the way that you think about your clients, and the way that you really care about them. So what advice would you give to somebody who's thinking about going into social work? Um, I think with advice, right, the main thing that we always got in school, which I'll say, right, you want to avoid burnout. Uh, what burnout is, is just basically overworking yourself, right? Because don't forget, this is an emotional job and you, we have an emotional capacity, right? We're not robots. Mm -hmm. So I think definitely, you know, it's hard to avoid burnout because the nature of social work is really like giving you a lot of clients. Like I have 25 people on my caseload and I work twice a week. So wow. I'm seeing like 12 to 13 people a day, right? That's a lot to absorb. So avoiding burnout, you know, needing self-care, right? Like sometimes I want to sit and watch TV and I'm not explaining why I want to do that because this is my self-care, right? you know? So definitely avoiding burnout, um, you know, and I think don't be afraid to show your humanity, right? Because a lot of people get worried. Oh, I, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't let clients know about me, right? I have to keep my whole life private. Like, no, you don't, right? Obviously, you have to see when it's appropriate, but you want to show humanity, right? If a client's telling you, right? A client told me last week that, you know, she had been severely, severely physically abused, right? By her husband. And, you know, if she's sitting there crying, what, what am I going to look like this and be like, oh, okay, how do you feel about that? No, right? And for anyone who's listening, I rarely say, how do you feel about that, <laughs> right? I know that's like the... Um, you know, the Freaky Friday line, how do you feel about that, right? But it's not what we do, right? Yes, we explore clients' feelings, but it's much deeper than that, right? So don't be afraid to show your humanity. And another, another big piece of advice, and this is something that I learned over time, is exploring resistance, right? What's resistance? When someone's resisting to, treat, to treatment, right? When someone's resisting what you're saying, you're giving them suggestions or you're helping them kind of make changes and they're resisting. If you can explore that resistance, you're golden, right? That is the key to the work because, you know, I had a client who, you know, like I said, I said earlier, right? She had all these opportunities. And for me, for a minute, yes, I was getting frustrated. I was like, I don't understand. You're saying you want to make all these changes and now you have the opportunity. Why are you not doing that? Right? So thank God I had enough experience. I took a step back and I said, hold on, she's resisting, let me look at this, right? We ended up going through, right, back into her past, into her present, right, back and forth, and realizing, hey, I'm not taking these opportunities because I'm really comfortable in my anxiety, right? And to come out of that is really uncomfortable, right? right. People can think they want to be, they don't want to be depressed, but then when they get there, it's scary, right? So going through that with clients, going through fear of success, right? Right, we all know fear of failure, but fear of success is a huge thing. Um, Right. So going through that with clients is is, you know, is a huge deal. And that's where the resistance is. Right. When someone's resisting, don't focus on, you know, the, the what, what are they doing? What are they focus on the why? Why are you resisting? Okay. 
because if you don't get to that, it's just going to be pushing and pulling back and forth. It's going to turn into a power struggle, mm-hmm. and that's useless, right. right? So you spoke before about, like, having 12, 13 clients and then coming home and, like, trying not to feel burnt out. And you have a husband and a kid. So, like, yeah. how do you – how are you able to still engage with them in a loving way and give them your empathy and give them your love and want to talk out with them after you spent all day sort of, like, just speaking to other people and giving your full self? Yeah, I think um, that's definitely a question I get all the time. And, you know, I also love to, you know, help my friends and help my family, right? I want to give them the knowledge that I that I know to help them, right? Um, and so, you know, the way that I do it is I, I take my alone time, right? I do my self-care, right? Unwinding, relaxing. Listen, I'm not a night person. So by 8 p.m., I'm like chilling. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let me eat. Let me shower, right? And that's what works for me, right? Relaxing when the day's over and you know really you know sometimes if I need a minute to think right and process what I have heard throughout the whole day you know I'll tell my husband I'll be like you know give me a minute a baby's a little different right (laughs) a baby's different I think with a baby I practice a lot of mindfulness right and for people that don't know what mindfulness is it's living in the moment right when we're thinking about what happened 10 minutes ago what's going to happen in 10 minutes from now you're not living in the moment you're living in the past or the future right and essentially that's what anxiety is right so again this is a technique I use with clients right so being mindful living in the moment is how I you know give let's say my baby attention Mm -hmm. right because if I'm sitting there like a zombie and she's running around like I don't want that to be my life right I want to connect with my child so really grounding myself right bringing myself down to reality you know and I use different skills with clients right name six things in front of you that are red to kind of calm you down to bring you into reality um yeah. interesting I never heard that one yeah you know cool. just different grounding techniques like that so we mentioned in the beginning that maybe some people will hear this and think okay therapy maybe is for me do you have any like tell signs that somebody should recognize within themselves to be like, okay, I really am ready for therapy and I should probably call somebody. Yeah. Um, I think it's important for everyone to keep in mind that I know we've been talking about extreme cases, but I have the simplest cases as well as the hardest cases, right? I have people coming in that are just having a hard time adjusting at work, right? That's something that we all go through. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that like you're saying, how do you know when you're ready for therapy? Um, I think it's at the point where, you know, you're feel, you feel like you're struggling, right? It might not be an extreme level, right? You might be functioning, right? right? Because all of us are walking around functioning. We're not walking around with our heart on our sleeve crying through, right? That wouldn't, that's not socially appropriate, right? <laughs> if you're functioning, right, but, you know, you feel like you could be doing better, right? You could be a better version of yourself, right? right? It doesn't need to be, oh, I was sexually abused or, oh, I'm thinking of killing myself or, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm cutting, right? Sometimes it can be I'm experiencing anxiety and it's interfering with my life in a way that I don't want it to, right? right? And, And if things can be better, why not? Right. Why not give it a shot? You can go to therapy. Everything's confidential. Nobody has to know. Right. And and you can walk. And this is something that I say, right? You can walk out of that door whenever you want right you go to therapy you control it right and I had a client tell me yesterday um that a big part of what made her feel safe enough to tell her story of rape was that she felt like she was in control right I had known that there had been a rape right and she's you know she mentioned it but we never got to the story because she wasn't ready and this is like three months of working together and so she finally felt ready right yes you can push a little but you don't want to push too much 
And so, you know, she was like, I had control of the session, so I felt ready. Right? Mm-hmm. So anyone that's thinking of going to therapy, keep in mind that you have control. You don't have to say anything before you want to say it. If you want to come in, you know, if you were physically abused and you want to come in and say, hey, I'm having a hard time at work, which always happens. <laughs> Somebody comes in and saying, you know, I, you know, I can't start and finish a project. And then it's like, oh, well, I didn't realize that there was also domestic violence in your history. Right. So you <laughs> yeah. don't need to say anything before you're ready. And I think that if you want to be your best self, right, because we all have flaws. If you want an extra hand, a little education, you know extra information on how to work on that, how to reach what we call self-actualization, right? Which is the best version of yourself. Call a therapist, right? Give it a shot. You can always end it. There's no contract. Right. Why not? Love that. (laughs) Okay. So our final question that we love to ask. Yes. Somebody sees you at a party. Yes. And you say, I'm a social worker. What is a good follow-up question that is not, I'll tell you the ones that I've gotten. Yeah. Like you said, like, giving an example and say what would you say to the client or like yeah. can you read my mind right now I don't know why that's such a oh, common one but I get that one. all that's the time and I'm like one. I didn't say I was a mind reader I said I'm a therapist but yeah right. what would be a good follow up question for people to ask to really get to know what it is that you do it's a tough one right because I know we spoke about a lot of questions um, and you know I think that a good follow up you know I know we spoke about this but I think a good follow up is you know how do you how do you have time and how do you you know connect with people outside of the room when you're hearing all of this right I think that I know we spoke about it but I definitely think that that's the best question because it's something that every therapist that's doing their job right is gonna feel Mm -hmm. right so if you're thinking of getting into the field and you're thinking you know uh, what's gonna be how am I gonna feel in the field this is how you're gonna feel in the field Right. right you're gonna feel heavy emotionally right you're gonna feel that desire for instant gratification right but it's it's just something that you're gonna have to process right people have to remember that getting into the field means getting into your own emotions right I had a client who was going through something and this is you know this is a mistake I made in the field right and we make mistakes it's fine right um I don't like the word mistake because Mm. I don't consider it a mistake if you learn from it right so you know, she was going through something and I didn't even realize that her story was similar to mine, right? What something that I was going through or gone through. I don't remember exactly the details, but the point is that I had pushed her, right? Because I was trying to almost like make the change, make the change because I wanted to make it for myself. Right. Maybe I was too scared or I was feeling too vulnerable. And I didn't even realize this till later because I was like, hmm, I felt like we were fighting during that session, right? And it uh-huh. does happen. And, you know, what I kind of realized after was that I pushed it too hard and I and the good thing about therapy is well she didn't come back next session which by the way is a good sign for you did something wrong Um, not always right not always but like I said you want to explore resistance if someone's not showing up unless it's like a real excuse there's sometimes a reason and I've had multiple clients say you know the session was really heavy and and I couldn't I couldn't right but they told me that they forgot you know so anyway I went back to that session and I told the client I said listen I pushed you too hard Right. I realized that I did that and she was really receptive and we were able to move past it. Right. Right. So getting back to advice, I think another big piece of advice is don't be afraid to communicate with your clients. Don't be afraid to admit to your mistakes. They like that. They want to see that you're human. Nobody relates to somebody that's perfect. Mm -hmm. Right. That humanity is what drives the entire relationship. Right. So, yes, you need that education. Yes, you need to know all those coping skills. You need to know CBT, psychodynamic therapy, DBT. Right. You need to know these things. But the therapeutic relationship is ultimately what's going to drive the work. Mm -hmm. You need that. Can't do without it. 
Yeah. And I'm happy that we're ending off on that because it really is the biggest thing. And for people who are looking to get into a therapeutic relationship with somebody, connecting with your therapist is the biggest thing. Like they could be the most knowledgeable or somebody who's not as knowledgeable, but if you connect with them, yeah, that's the biggest factor. If you feel like they really get you and like your friends and you can make that relationship, yes. that's what's going to drive the change. Yes. I've had so many clients where we've even said to each other, if this was not our relationship we would go for lunch right <laughs> we would definitely go for lunch and you know I I think on that note for whoever's listening who's maybe interested in getting to in you know to going to their own therapist try not to get turned off if you don't connect with your first therapist right people go through 20 therapists you know I know that sounds like a lot but people go through a number of therapists until they really connect to one and the good thing about that is you know yes it's frustrating but once you connect it's like life-changing mm-hmm. right you know just just being able to help that person and you know when when people you know when I used to watch TV and I used to be like my therapist said my therapist said I'm like wow like I'm that person now and I <laughs> right? love that right I love that I'm the one that's helping you get better mm-hmm. you know so so yeah that's really great and Again, I think for anyone that's listening, feel free to, you know, call me if you have more questions, if you want to get into the field. I'm here to talk about it. I love talking about it. As you could tell, I'm probably rambling through this whole thing. (laughs) No, Um, you're doing a good job. But, you know, feel free to call me. And anybody that is interested in attending their own therapy, right, feel free to call me too. Same rules apply to when, you know, as when I'm in the office, confidentiality, right? If you call me, you want to just hear a little bit more about therapy, I will keep it between us. Nothing will, you know, leave the phone call, I guess. And, you know, just don't be afraid to to call me and to ask more questions, right? I'm here to answer any questions that anybody has about it. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, this is so much fun. Thank I you know. so much for coming on. I'm going to link Ruthie's email to the show notes so that you can have that if you have any questions cool. about becoming a therapist or getting a therapist. And this is really great. Thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing what the heck social work really is. Because, guys, if you thought that it was bad that you didn't know, people in social work school did not know. So I'm happy you had this conversation. (laughs) You were very, very clear. I loved hearing about the different types of clients that you worked with and the ways that you helped them. I feel like I'm going to take that with me for my own life. And it was awesome. So thank you. Okay. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) It was a pleasure. Bye. Thank you guys for joining this episode of What the Heck Do You Do? We really hope you enjoyed and that you will rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. But more importantly, if you have a job or career that people just don't understand, please email us at whattheheckdoyoudo at gmail.com with your job title and a quick description of what the heck you do. Until next time.